Hello, friends. Doug Scheibel here, your free-range podcaster with the Ethnos 360. Just want to say thanks again for coming today, and I appreciate you coming to continue up these uh, these lessons. Uh, we're getting pretty far down there now. We're in almost lesson 57, if you can believe that or not. And so uh, we've come a long, long way uh, in history, uh, in biblical history, and in, in reaching this particular point. Still got a little more to go, but we're getting there. So uh, just uh, real encouraged by all this. And uh, and in just a few weeks, <laughs> I'm going to be so happy. And I'll tell you why when the time comes. Now, letting, going back a little bit, I just want you to understand something. Now, Psalm becomes the king of Israel. Uh, why? Not because... God wanted him to be king to begin with. It's because the people wanted him to be king. The Israelites said, we want a king just like all the other nations have. We want to be like the Joneses down the street. We want to be just like them. And we don't want to be looked down on because we don't have a king. Uh, people look down on us and think we're just, you know, trailer trash or whatever. But we're not. He says, we're Israelites and we want a king too, just like that. And then God tells Samuel, if you remember right, uh, he says, don't worry about this. He says, it's not your, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me uh, because they don't want me to be king anymore. Uh, and so uh, Samuel did it and he anointed uh, Saul. But anyway, going back a little bit uh, on a review, let's start at the beginning of this. Um, um, in part of the last lesson, all the Israelites who rebelled against the Lord before they went into the land of Canaan, uh, they died in the wilderness just as God promised that they would. And, uh, and then uh, God chose Joshua to take his place. And so Joshua takes the place of Moses, leads the Israelites into the land of Canaan, and, uh, and, and uh, he just helps everything work well while he's there. Now, right before they enter Canaan, Moses has to go up to the mountain, Mount Nebo, and there he dies, and God buries him. And no one knows where he was buried, and nobody ever could know because God was the one that buried him and took care of that. So Joshua leads the Israelites into Canaan. And listen, before I go farther than that, I just want you to understand something. The Israelites that rebelled against the Lord didn't die because they rebelled against the Lord. They died because of Adam. And it's the same way with Moses. Regardless of whether they would have rebelled against him or not, they still would have died. But the consequences of their actions may have brought about their death, but people die because that's part of the fall. That is part of that. Uh, sometimes we die prematurely, but no matter what, we're still going to die. So when we live for the Lord, we have to accept the consequences of that. Sometimes uh, things, and generally speaking, things go well, but sometimes they don't go well because we have to suffer persecution. And this is what a lot of people in prisons in North Korea and other countries have suffered over the years. They suffered because of uh, their belief in the Lord and they trust in him. And so those are some of the consequences. So <clears throat> Joshua and then uh, the Israelites go into the land of Canaan and they start to conquer that uh, because God had given them the land. Remember, he gave that to Abraham. He says, I'll bring uh, you and your descendants into a land and they'll be in bondage for 450 years and then they'll go to the land that I promise you. So uh, Joshua leads them into Canaan. But what happens right after Joshua dies? The Israelites turn right back to where they were. They turn to idols. and they, they, It's amazing, isn't it, that you can sit down and say, you make a statue that looks like a human, and it has the power, or it's a symbol of the power. It doesn't make any difference. You're putting it there to remind you of something out there that God doesn't want you to be reminded about. 
Remember that first and second command where he says, don't make any idols, don't make any image of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or anything under the earth? He says, because I, I am the Lord your God, there is no other. And so we go to God and God alone for things because he is the creator, the owner of everything that exists. Um, so the Israelites were turning against the Lord. The Lord brought them into bondage and then the Lord started raising up judges. And these judges were people who were brought about at a particular time to help deliver Israel from captivity or from the bondage that they were in. And we saw that there were 14 different ones. And like I said, like Joshua and Gideon, or not Joshua, but uh, uh, Samson and Gideon and some other ones that were there. And they delivered the Israelites and then there'd be a time of peace and then they would turn their backs on the Lord again. And then they'd go into bondage and then the, there was just this cycle over and over again. First there was deliverance, then there was peace, then there was bondage, and then there was deliverance again, and the Lord raised up a judge, and then there was deliverance, and so on. So in the, we talked a little bit about the last judge. The last judge that was there was Samuel. And um, and so Samuel is um, uh, there, and he's the one that sets up Saul to be the king. And uh, God told him, he says, go mark this man and make Saul the one. Saul was the one that everybody thought was the guy. He was the one that looked like the, the Thor or the Captain America of their country, Captain of Israel, if you want to put it that way. <coughs> and so he went in there and he anointed him as to be king. And it wasn't very long. And all of a sudden, they turned their backs on the Lord once again. So um, uh, we just see all this happening. Now, uh, Israel wanted to have a human king, like I said before, rather than the Lord as their king. And so Saul becomes the first king. Now, Israel had forgotten how good the Lord had been to him over the centuries. I mean, they had been, he'd been good. He provided food for their, clo uh, food. their clothing never wore out once in 40 years while they were in the wilderness. Their clothing never wore out. They always had water. Uh, and even in times when it looked like they didn't have, God would provide it once again. So he was always looking out for them. But maybe now, maybe now that they've got a human king, maybe things will change for them and, and, uh, um, and they will fulfill the terms of the agreement that they made with God at Mount Sinai. Maybe now, because of all this, they have their own king, they say, yep, we can serve the Lord now. Well, let's see what happened. Um, we saw that, uh, we talked a little bit before about how, what's the first thing happened? Uh, Saul was going into battle uh, against some people. And, uh, and Samuel told him to do something. Um, now remember, like I said, Saul was chosen to be king. And after two years, Saul decided to go to war with the Philistines. And so Samuel told him to go to Gilgal and wait for him there. And then he would inquire of the Lord about whether they should do that or not. So while he's there, while Saul's at Gilgal, uh, Saul becomes impatient. And what does he do? He bypasses Samuel and he makes his own offering to the Lord. Right? Okay. So was Saul a Levite? No, he wasn't. He was uh, he wasn't of the of the Levitical priesthood or of the Levitical line, so he couldn't offer anything as a priest. So what did God do? God judged Saul for not making or not following the pattern that was set forth in the wilderness. So let's read here in First uh, Samuel thirteen verses thirteen and fourteen. And Samuel said to Saul, "You and this is after they've, he's offered this offering. He says, "You have done foolishly." You have not kept the commandment, commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. 
because you have not kept uh, what the Lord commanded you. So in essence, what Saul was doing basically by offering these offerings, he was kind of doing what what, um, Moses did in the wilderness when he struck the rock twice. He did that in front of the people and that just showed that he he thought he had the right to do what God told him uh, or to do something that God had not told him to do. And so, uh, it, but it with uh, I was um, sorry with Moses. Moses repented of that, and he was truly sorry for what he had done. But Saul, no effect. He just went ahead and did what he did. So, and remember, sin never just affects one person; it affects everybody around them. And so now Israel was going to suffer the consequences of this. So, uh, what does uh, Samuel do? Samuel tells him. He says, "Look, because of what you've done, he says your kingdom would have been established forever." It would have been a perpetual kingdom. But now because you disobeyed the Lord, he's taking the kingdom away from you and he's given it to another. So who does uh, <clears throat> um, Samuel go and find? He goes to find, I'll, and I'll, tell you, I'll read it to, your, uh, to you in just a little bit. But Samuel anointed David to be king over Israel. So David was the second king in Israel's history. And so... Uh, um, David didn't take the throne, but David, and here's the interesting thing about David, David didn't usurp that authority. He didn't go and say, okay, now that God's kicked uh, Saul out of here, I'm going to take his place. He said, no, he said, I'm going to trust the Lord, and I'm going to wait until God's time to assume the position of king. So he didn't take the throne by force. He waited on God to put him there, and David trusted God because he was a man after God's own heart. He thought, you know what? I want to be a good example to the people, so I will wait until God's time in order to be a king over Israel. And so let's read here in 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 5, and it says this. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for... um, I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you. A heifer is a young uh, cow, a female cow. says, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. (coughs) Excuse me. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peacefully or peaceably? Now, I'm sure that they were probably, they didn't know what to think. They knew who Samuel was. They knew he was a prophet of the Lord and one of the judges. So I'm sure they're thinking, if he's coming to them, there must be a problem. Otherwise, why would he be coming here? So they're asking. They're scared right now because of him coming there. Do you come uh, peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So Jesse was a man there in Israel, and uh, he was of the tribe of Judah, and he had these sons, and he had these sons, told him to bring his sons with him, and so on, his family. So 1 Samuel in 16, verses 11 through 13, it says this, And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? In other words, what it was happening was he was anointing all, he was bringing all of the sons before him and from the oldest to the youngest. And he kept looking at him, the Lord says, he's not the one. Is this the one? No, he's not the one. 
Is this the one? No, he's not the one. And on and on and on till we got to the last son that Jesse had brought there. So that's where that's the what's going on here. Then all the tribes of, I'm sorry, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. So David was watching the sheep while all the other brothers went over there. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent him and brought him in, and he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. So in other words, this guy was, he looked—he was a man's man, even though he was a young guy. Ruddy, which meant he just, he just looked good. You know, he was had bright eyes, which means he wasn't a, a drinker or anything like that. He was clear of uh, thinking and so on. He says, and he was good looking, is what it says here. Uh, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So it's really interesting here. So uh, David is anointed king, not in front of all of Israel, but just in front of this family and some of the people there in Bethlehem. And so he anoints them and tells them uh, what to do. And then he says he leaves and goes to Ramah. Second Samuel uh, chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 4, we're skipping some history, but we'll come back. It says this, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be a ruler over Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king in Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them in Hebron uh, before the Lord, and they anointed him David, king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. So David became the king, but during this time, but from the time that he was anointed with oil by Samuel until this particular moment, a lot of history had taken place. David had led a lot of battles, won the battles. He was really respected by everybody. Uh, they loved him and so on. And they all knew, and it's interesting by their statement, they all knew that David was supposed to be king. And yet they watched him and they saw an example of somebody who humbled himself before the Lord and did what the Lord wanted. Okay? Um, so that's pretty, and so David reigned for 40 years as king of Israel. Now, David was just like you and me. He wasn't something special. He wasn't, uh, like I say, he wasn't Captain America or Captain Israel, if you want to put it that way. He was David, the son of, of uh, Jesse, a Bethlehemite, all right? He was a sinner, just like you and me, and he needed a deliverer also. Uh, David believed God and followed him in all that he did. And um, I don't know if this uh, we're going to get into it or not. I may just bring up a little bit of it later on, but uh, there's an event that really just shows this, that really drives this point home. Now, he knew that animals could never take away sin. Animals were just a blood sacrifice. If they could take away sin, then why do it year after year after year? But it doesn't take away, it didn't take away sins. All it did is cover the sin. It did appeased God until the deliverer could come and deal with the sin issue once and for all. Uh, only God's promise, promised deliverer would be able to do that. <clears throat> now, we know the book of Psalms that we see in our Bible, many of those, uh, a lot of those were written by David. And they were expressing what was going on in his heart at a particular time. It could have been different times when it was at war, when he was at peace, 
when he was in fellowship with the Lord, when he was out of fellowship with the Lord. Sometimes he wrote things in his repentance uh, from things that he did. But those are really sitting there uh, summing up what he was really, what it was going on with him. That's why they mean so much to us these days. We read those Psalms and we look at them and we consider what he's saying. He said, man, that's where I'm at. I'm just like that guy. Why is the world the way it is? And David talks about those things. So it's pretty neat. So during this time, when he became king of Israel, he had plans. He, he wanted to do something. He wanted to build a temple to the Lord, all right? Uh, he wanted to build this temple for God. Now, David wanted a permanent place so that people could come and offer sacrifices and prayers to the Lord, a place where everybody could come to so there wouldn't be all these places where um, idols could be set up and all these different places. He wanted a central place of worship. That's what he wanted. Um, God didn't ask for this, but he's not against it. But we'll see here as time goes on. He did not want to live. He said this. He did not want to live in a better place than the Lord lived in, which was that tabernacle, which was nothing big. It was animal skins and cloth and all these different parts. Uh, he wanted, he thought God should have a better house than he had. Um, the temple would be very expensive and it was, but it would be built with great, great care. And it would just be very meticulous on how it was to be built. Uh, now, did God need a place to dwell in? No, he, he inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Remember, we talked about that verse before. So the eternal God cannot be contained anywhere. But <clears throat> it was a place where non-eternal people, non-omnipresent people like you and me uh, who are flawed could come to God and say, Lord, uh, we we know that we need to do certain things. We need to offer the sacrifices for the sins that we've committed in this uh, past year and so on, and we want to make them here. And so it was a, it was a place to do it and where, where it would always be done right. That was the point of it. They would do the sacrifices the proper way. <clears throat> do you think God got cold living in tents? No, we know better than that. God doesn't need anything, does he? He's existed for all eternity without us. And there isn't any place that can contain him. Uh, God wanted to build a house for God that would remind everyone that God is God. That's what he wanted them to do. He wanted all the nations around to remember that also. In verse 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, so he'd fought the battles, and now he's resting, uh, the country's at rest, at peace, then the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. And so that's what Nathan the prophet was telling him. So God gave David some promises concerning this. God allowed the temple to be built, but would not allow David to do it. It would be David's future son who would do it. And the reason God said David couldn't do it was because he was a man of war. And this would be a place of peace. It would be a place where um, the peace of God would rest on it and where people could make peace with God by uh, doing what God wanted them to do and bring the acceptable sacrifice. So he said you couldn't do it. So 2 Samuel 7 verses 12 through 17, when your days are fulfilled and you rest in your uh, with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, in other words, a descendant of yours, who will come from your body. So in, that, in other words, an immediate descendant. That would be a son. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took from Saul, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. So in other words, he, what he's saying here, he says, I'm not going to, because of you, David, I'm not going to reject your son. I will always be merciful to him, but I am going to have to do some whipping every once in a while. And we'll have to take care of this once, you know, when he does things. So I want you to understand that. But his, uh, my mercy will not be removed from him, from your son. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. In other words, this would be a kingdom that would last forever. Now, there's more to this than meets the eye, but we'll talk about that later. And then it says this, according to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So he was telling him this. Now, David would be like Abraham in one aspect. The deliverer, the, the, I'm sorry, the deliverer would be one of their descendants. Okay? So one of the descendants of Abraham would be a deliverer, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But also one of the deliverers, the deliverer would be one of the descendants of David, which is pretty interesting. The deliverer would rule forever. There would be no stopping of his kingdom. Uh, God never forgot his promise to Eve that a deliverer would one day come and thousands of years have passed now since this time when in the Garden of Eden when he made that uh, proclamation to Eve. And it's still going on. God's reminding him, I won't forget. I'm not going to forget. It's coming. So, and that, that promise was still being reinforced by God. Uh, God narrowed down the line through whom the deliverer would come. Now we know for sure that he was coming through the line of Judah. You know, because David was of the line of Judah. And so... Um, that's what um, uh, God wanted him to understand. So you and I know this. The deliverer we know is from the line of Abraham, but Abraham uh, and Isaac and Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, remember. And so he couldn't come from all 12 sons, so he had to come from one of them. But it doesn't reveal right away what it was. But here for sure we know that it's through the line of David, and David was of the line of Judah. So the descendant would be from the line of Judah. So I'm going to read some verses here uh, in First Chronicles, all right, in Second Chronicles. In First Chronicles 22, verses 5 and 6, it says this, Now David said, Solomon my son is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparations for it. So David made abundant preparations, abundant preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And this he would do after he died. So in verses uh, tw chapter 29, verses 26 through 28, Thus David the son of Jesse ruled over all Israel. And the period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. So he died in a good old age, full of days, and riches and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. So, uh, just as God said, you know, uh, David uh, could do, uh, be ruler over Israel, but he would never be able to build uh, the, um, the palace, the, uh, the, oh, some of my, the temple. I'm sorry, I kept wanting to say tabernacle. You know, it would build the temple. So then we go on here now. Now we move on from David to Solomon. Second Chronicles chapter uh, 2, verse 1. Then Solomon determined to build a temple for the name of the Lord 
and a royal house for himself. Okay, so now David's wanting to build a house, or I mean, uh, Solomon's wanting to build a house for himself also. So in chapter 5, verse 1 of Second Chronicles, it says this, So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his fa father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and all the furnishings. And he put, it, put them in the treasuries of the house of God. Okay, now this is what we need to understand here. Though the temple was made of stone and materials, it was built according to the specifications of the original tabernacle. So the rooms would be the right size. There was the curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place. There was the laver, the candlesticks, and all the table of showbread and all that. All of that was still in there, and it was built to specifications uh, as the tabernacle was. But it was a really magnificent uh, piece of work, to be honest with you. And the holy place and the most holy place were still central, were the central place in the temple. That was it. And the most holy place was the most central place. It was absolutely, um, that was the one thing upon which everything hung there, okay? Um, the curtain still separated the two chambers. The Ark of the Covenant with its contents was still inside the, the, the most holy place in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. Um, the temple had the same requirements as the temple with all of its ceremonies. So whatever rules were applied in the wilderness wanderings, they still applied in this case also. <clears throat> um, they needed to, and the people, there's reason, there's things that people needed to realize. They needed to realize that they were sinners, that the punishment for sin was still death, that animal died in their place. Uh, there had to be a payment for sin, and the death of the sacrifice through the shedding of its blood. That still had to take place, just like Abraham did in the place of Isaac up, on, uh, up there on Mount Horeb. So they're having to do the same thing here, too. There still has to be the shedding of blood, which there can be no uh, remission of sin if they didn't do it. God still needed to send a deliverer. So even though they did what they did, they knew the deliverer was coming one day. And all of the ceremonies were still in effect. They were, and they would be. So many kings ruled over Israel after after the Solomon died, you know. Uh, eventually, though, Solomon did die. Why? Not because of the, whatever wrong or right he did, but because he's a child of Adam, and he was going to die. Um, Solomon died. Other kings ruled. There were a few good ones, but very few, but most of them were evil. They turned their backs on the Lord and just decided to go their own way and do what they wanted to do. Uh, the kingdom uh, eventually split into two. And they were one side, the southern kingdom was Judah, the northern kingdom was Israel. And so they were uh, had that that they had to deal with. So there was animosity all the time between the two. Um, uh, Israel never, ever had a good king. They never did. They had, none of them ever uh, chose to serve the Lord. Um, and um, only Judah, the, king of, the kingdom of Judah had a couple of them there, Hezekiah, Asa, and so on. Uh, in either case, the people rebelled as soon as the good king would die. So they die, and man, they go right back to their old ways. You'd think that they would learn their lesson, but they never did. And they just kept going on and on and on and on and on. And it just, it just is discouraging just to read it sometime. The people of Israel and Judah were very, very evil. They had done some things. There had been some few glimpses of hope. But I'll tell you what, uh, overall, they just they did not uh, uh, want to serve the Lord in any way, shape, or form. They just wanted to do their own thing. Um, um, so anyway, Ezekiel's uh, chapter 16, verses 48 through 49 says this, 
As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. He's talking to Israel here. In the King James, it says it this way. This was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Pride, the abundance of idleness, fullness of bread, and you didn't strengthen the hands of the needy. So let me read it here. It says this. As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. So they only thought of themselves. That was the whole point. And he's comparing Israel with Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's telling them, and he says, you're worse than they are. And there's a reason why. It's because they had the truth and they rejected it. That was what made them really, really awful for what they did. So God said that the people of the two kingdoms were like Sodom, and he called them Sodom's sisters. You know, they were guilty of pride, plenty of food, too much time on their hands, and they forgot about the poor and needy. Now, does that sound familiar? It doesn't make a difference what country you're in. That happens to us too, doesn't it? We're just like that. That's what makes us what we're, we are. We only, we have... It doesn't mean that every single individual is like that, either in Israel's history. But as a nation, that's what they were like. And we've done that. We've become proud. We don't need God. We kick God out of schools. Doesn't that sound strangely familiar? We kick God out of schools. We don't need him anymore. And we go to our own idols, education, wealth. Um, you know, even poverty can become an idol, you know, uh, uh, so on. Uh, race, we uh, use that all the time as a thing uh, to, we say that makes us more important because we're one race or another. Um, they had too much time on their hands. Uh, boy, that's all we're working towards, isn't it? And the work week to get smaller and smaller and the leisure time to get greater and greater. And so we're having that and they forgot the poor and needy. And when I think when they're talking about the poor and needy, I think they're talking about the really poor and the really needy. Not people who just uh, take handouts because they don't want to do anything else. So, sound familiar? Can you name anyone who sounds like that? Of course, you can name us. That's all we have to look at. We are proud. We have plenty to eat. We have too much time on our hands. And we do not help those who are really, really poor. So, conclusion, this, land, this particular lesson spanned nearly 700 years. So, the previous lesson was about 400 years. This uh, lesson is up about 700 years. So, just in these two lessons, we've covered 1,100 years of history. A lot of time there. Uh, the people of Israel did not want God to rule over them. They wanted flawed human beings to rule over them. And that's something we have to watch out, even in our culture, where we have people that we put in power, and uh, whether in Congress or the courts or even presidency, where they, we want them to rule us. We need to have the Lord rule our hearts, you know, and then do what he wants us to do. Um, they did not want God to rule them. Had they believed God, do you think things would have been better for them or worse for them? Well, I think for in Israel's case, absolutely would have been better. Why? Because God promised them. He says, if you do what I tell you, I will bless you. If you don't, I'll curse you. So had they, but that was an agreement that he made with God, uh, that he made with the people of Israel. If you do what I tell you, I will bless you. So I can say beyond any shadow of a doubt, had they followed the Lord, things would have been better. No doubt about it. Um, at the beginning of this lesson, it was asked whether Israel would ever learn its lesson. Did it? 
Did they learn their lesson after all those hundreds and thousands of years of history from Abraham on? Did they learn their lesson? No, they really didn't. They continued on doing just what they did. Um, can we reject our Creator without there being consequences? No. There's always, remember what I told you before? Sin causes us to think irrationally. And if we think irrationally, there are going to be consequences to that. And they're not going to be pleasant. They really aren't. So in the next lesson, we're going to show how God tried to bring his people back to him. <clears throat> Even in their sinful condition, he still had mercy on them and wanted to bring them back. And we'll talk about how he did that. So thank you for listening to this lesson. Remember, if you uh, if you know anybody that wants to listen to him, please have them go to my podcast at... Uh, at um, uh, premature Bible Institute uh, and you can, they can look at it on there uh, go to their favorite podcast look up Premature Bible Institute or they can go to my website at uh, tribalshibel.com and get that information there or if they want to listen to the video podcast of this on YouTube they can just look up my name Doug Scheibel D-O-U-G space S-C-H-A-I-B-L-E they can look that up and they can find my podcast there so just want to say thank you guys again for uh, being here uh, it's going to get pretty exciting here before too long. So we'll talk to you later. Bye.